Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. I'm really excited about this week's interview. I know, I know. Y'all say I say that every week. I, I do. But first of all, I'm glad that my friend is taking out time to come and talk to us today. She is the star of the new hit show, Harlem, an amazing director and executive producer. Please welcome Making Good. Who we have today is, um, to me, one of my favorites, unproblematic. She minds her business and drinks her water. (laughs) Um, And literally right now, she is the star of a show that is just taking us by storm, Amazon's new hit show, Harlem. She is a director and an executive producer Actress, philanthropist, just all things good. Y'all, please welcome Miss Megan Good. <laughs> Hi. What's up? I promise you, I didn't mean to say all things good, but as it was forming in my brain, I was like, just go on and say it. I'm sure she's used to wordplay like that. <laughs> I receive it. Well, I receive it and appreciate it. Yes. What is going on? Man, a crazy year. <laughs> Understood. Um, yeah, but um, all is well. God is good. Thankful, yes, you know. Absolutely. Wow, wow, wow. Well, first of all, um, I'm not going to ask the same question. Well, how did things get started with Harlem? Tell us whoop de whoop de whoop de whoop. Listen, because I'm sure you've already done enough interviews stating how it got started. And first of all, I'm excited about the folks that direct it. I'm a few of the executive producers on there, the actors on the show. And I was excited to see you on our screens again, not just in a movie, but an actual series. Right. You know, so how are you feeling about it all as it relates to Harlem. I know I'm trying to get, I know I just got right in there regarding Harlem. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. You know, I, it's interesting because, because TV for me is always a little bit scary because I, I'm such a nomad and a gypsy that, you know, I, I remember being like 17 and Terrence Howard was on Sparks at the time. And I was on a Nickelodeon show, Cousin Skeeter. And I ran into him on the lot and he said, you know, 
just when you when you finish the show, he was like, go do movies so that you never know where you're going to be. You never know what characters you're going to play. And then when you get married and you have kids, then do TV because then there'll be stability and you'll know that, you know, when your next paycheck's coming and you know the character that you're playing, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I realized that that, that next season on Cousins Theater, I felt very trapped. And there's nothing you can do. You know, you're on the show until the show ends, whenever that is. And so after that, I didn't do TV for years. The next time I was a regular on a TV show was really Deception, mm-hmm. um, which I was 30. So, um, and so it's it's always a, a thing for me that my mind says, you know, I, I love to work. I love acting. It's always a beautiful, wonderful thing. I, I feel blessed to just to be able to do it. But, you know, it's about quality of life for me. It's yes. about peace of mind for me. It's about liking the people that I'm working with, liking the place that I'm going to show up to, you know, liking and loving the character that I play and all those things. And so when I read Harlem, I instantly fell in love with it. And then I found out that they had already cast Grace. And then I hadn't met Jerry yet. And I'm reading this. I, you know, I, I go in, I meet with Tracy. I'm thinking, okay, you know, I got it. And then I don't hear anything. And then I hear that they're auditioning people. And mm-hmm. I was like, I mean, I was like, well, can I come in and audition? And, you know, initially it was kind of a little bit uh, a pushback because I think that they, you know, they, they hadn't seen me play this character before or anything like this. And so um, they weren't sure if I was the girl, you know, and so I had to go in and really fight for the role. And I worked with Grace the night before on our scene. And then with Jerry, it came instantly and natural. And then with Shaniqua, I ran into her in the bathroom because she was testing that day as well. And I, I met her over the phone like maybe five years prior. And she reminded me of this. She was like, you were on set with my friend when you were doing Minority Report. You put me on the phone with you. And she was like, I'm going to claim in the name of Jesus that we're going to work together. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's right. And then I was like, I'm going to claim that we're going to work together. So me and her are hugging the bathroom, praying and stuff. And so, you know, I go in and I audition and I don't hear anything for two weeks. And I'm like, what is happening? You know, and then I get the call and they were like, we were just waiting for it to go down the pipeline. Um, but I cried because I was like, I get to work with really amazing women and, and not just like the cast, but like Tracy Oliver and Mimi and, yes. and like everybody. And so, um, and then as soon as I got there, it was everything that I wanted it to be. It was a character where I could grow and, and explore her and play parts of me that I hadn't got a chance to play. I knew I wanted to do like a little bit of like Lucille Ball comedy and, you know, just things that people don't know that, that Megan's actually, you know, that I'm a dork mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a nerd, I'm quirky, <laughs> you know? And so it, it, for me, is really a dream character. And, and then I get to work with dream people that I really genuinely love and love showing up to work and doing life with and being in that quality of life space with them while working. So mm. that's and my Harlem's feel. <laughs> first of all, I want to pivot back to you mentioned the word audition. So people that are listening are going to say, wait a minute, the Megan Good had to audition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that shocks people that there are actors that, yes, who have experience. You've been in this game a long time as a kid. And we know, like, there would not have been a doubt in my mind that you could play this role, even though it's something we've never seen you do before. I think your experience, maturity, um, where you are as a woman, I would have never thought that they would that they would be thinking, well, we don't know. We've never seen her do this before. 
Well, you know what's interesting? I think because, you know, when I, being a child actor and then trying to make that transition to being a woman, which is a transition that's really hard for any child actor to make. Um, and then when I did make that transition around like 21, you know, then I became like the sexy girl, the hot girl. And, and I was stuck in that box for a full decade where anytime I came in the room, you know, certain people didn't want to see me for certain things because they thought, well, she, yeah, she's just a pretty girl. Like they didn't think that maybe I had any depth or didn't think that I could do anything different. Um, and so that was really why I went back into TV to do deception. Because I was like, I need to reinvent myself. I need people to see me differently. And the only way I know to do that is to do something that's so vastly different than what I've done these last 10 years. And then, you know, I cut my hair and all these different things. And so just trying to re, you know, I had throughout my 20s, I had the long stripper hair, you know. And so like when I got like 28, 29, I cut it all off because I was like, I need them to see me differently. And um, and so in some of that, that residue still stays because even though by the grace of God, I've, I've worked consistently since I was like 11, um, there's, there'll be projects that I do that, you know, maybe you haven't seen or don't know that it exists or someone else doesn't know that it exists. And it's the same thing with producers and directors. Like they might be like, oh yeah, she did this movie X amount of years ago, not knowing, but I also did this, that, this, that, this, that in the last five years, but it's just not something that's on their radar for whatever be the reason. And so, um, what I will say is there's something extremely, extremely satisfying about knowing after 30 years that I can still surprise people. And more importantly, that I can still change people's minds about me. And that for me was really why I cried because yes, I wanted the character and I wanted the show and all things Harlem, but in my heart and in my spirit, I was like, I just changed somebody's mind, you know? And I just, I just surprised someone who didn't know that, that I could, you know, and that meant everything to me. But also is everything is that there are some people where that could happen to and they will choose to have pride. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't know who I am, you just don't know who I am. I'm not finna audition. If I got to change your mind, it, the role ain't meant for me. But yet there was some, it takes some humility to say, you know what? It's okay. You know, it's it's all right. All eyes, you know, have not been on every project that I've done. So let me go in here and let me let me show them. Yeah. And Harlem looks like it was created for y'all. It's it looks like it looks like they had y'all had every the per every person that's in that role. It looks like th- that's who they wrote it for. Yeah. Amen. That is awesome. I also wanted to ask you, when you were talking about quality quality of life, have you ever had to decline projects because you were like, yeah, this 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 going to mess with my peace and my quality of life? Oh, yeah. And there's been a few times, you know, sometimes my, my agents will get a little like, they're like, you should really consider this. This is going to be more money than you've ever made before. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to move to that city. I don't want to deal with that weather every day. I don't want to play this character. I don't want to constantly be in this kind of thing because this is the, this is a formula that works when we all know it works, which means I'm looking at potentially 
five years, seven years, 10 years. And this isn't like 10 episodes or even 13 episodes. We're talking about 17 episodes, 23 episodes. That means I literally will have no time to come back home, one, um, to see like my family unless they come see me. And um, I also have no time to do anything else but this show. I can't go do a movie here or there. There's no, there's no space. I'm completely locked in contract. And that is not quality of life to me. I don't care how much money it is. I'd rather make less money and do something that gives my heart joy and peace than make a bunch of money and just be stuck somewhere. No, 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 no. And that's happened to me several occasions. And now my agents, they just know. And I'm like, no, they're like, all right, she'll do it. You know? <laughs> don't, it's like, don't even try to sneak uh, something in there. But I think sometimes agents, sometimes they, they use the word, listen, we just have to do our due diligence. We just, I, 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 I just have to be in good conscience when I go to sleep at night that I at least ask you to do this project or to consider. So I get, I get both angles. I have had, um, just some brilliant, brilliant women on this podcast. I'm so glad that you are now one of them. Um, and these women have been prim- primarily known um, as actors. And if y'all notice, I'm trying not to use the word actress and actor because some years ago it was decided that they would drop that. Just we're an actor. There is no such thing as doctress. You're a doctor. It's no lawyer is women lawyer. You're 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 a lawyer. But I was going to ask you, women that are taking more chances in the role of executive producing and even directing. Yeah. Now, I've said one day I'm going to do something that I think is good enough for making to see if she would even consider putting her eye behind the lens for something that I'd want to do. Talk to me about how important that that has been for you to you be represent for you to be a woman, not only in front, but behind the scenes, directing and producing. Yeah. Um, I just love directing so much. I do. It just makes my whole heart smile. I think um, I love creating and, and on the production side, I love problem solving. I, you know, as a kid, you know, it'd be like, I'd be the one who would be trying to sneak into a club or something like that. And we all be underage. And like, all I wanted to do was figure out how to turn this no into something where I could accomplish what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it's the same energy in mind that I have now as an adult with producing. I love to problem solve. I love for someone to say, no, this is not possible. Not for this price, not for this thing, or you can't get this performance out of her, or you can't. I love hearing no so that I can figure out a way to make it a yes. And um, that I just, something about that is just so gratifying to me. And then with directing, I think because I've been in front of the camera for so long, I don't really enjoy like the hair and makeup anymore, uh, the touch-ups and all that stuff. I just want to come to set and like be in sweatpants and a beanie and no makeup and just like serve the project and serve the actors and create something beautiful and meaningful and special and great, get great performances and all of that. And so um, I think it's, it's really, for me, there isn't a, a, there's starting to be more of us behind the camera more actors in general, more women of color in general. Um, But, you know, it needs to be a normal just thing that just is, and, and not just with directors or producers. We need like 
women of color to be like the head of the studios and like, you know, uh, more writers, like just more positions of decision making, you know, and not just people who are hired, people who do the hiring, you know? And um, so, yeah, that's my goal is to play my part. And I, I'm always keeping in mind a little black girl behind me who, especially the ones who get boxed in and people think mm. that they've seen all that they have to bring to the table because that's my journey. I'm like, no, such and such is capable of this, that, this, that, and the other. Yes, we can get this performance. Just wait to see what she or he does, you know? And so I think that that's one thing that motivates me is creating beautiful things, but also giving people opportunities that otherwise might not get that opportunity or might not get that opportunity for such a long time that mm -hmm. it, it isn't fair. As actors, we are capable of so much. We just got to be given the opportunity and the space, you know, and just one person to believe in us, you know? Absolutely. Now with directing and producing, so as an actor, say on Harlem, did you find yourself, we know you're the actor in the series. Did you find yourself thinking like a director or a producer at all while you were filming? Always, always. My mind is always like, you know, from the production side, it's like, okay, but if we shoot this scene, we should really should shoot the other one first because then we're not going to have to do the location move till after lunch which honestly would make the day go better and quicker and then we'd for sure make the day and it's not going to cost like the studio any extra money. Like that's, that's how my mind goes all day long. All while like, you really, have lines to be learning, you're thinking of lines. But I'm like, I'm here and I'm like, we really should just block shoot this. Like, honestly, I don't know why we're going to not, we should not do 23 and 24. We should just combine the two of them because it's in this room. So if we just block shoot it, then we shoot this whole side of the room first. And then we just flip over and we'd be done. We'd be out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like my mind is always, always doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always been doing that. And I didn't realize it until I started directing and producing. I was like, oh, I've been doing this in my head on set since I was like, you know, a teenager, since I had an idea that, you know, I thought would work. Like it could be something as simple as like, you know, we're doing stomp the yard and we're trying to figure out how to like, get this fight scene between uh, Columbus and I think it might have been Neo's character mm -hmm. and you know we're rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing it and it's just not working and I was like I just I just have a suggestion I was like what if you walk up because I know you can't punch him like that's what we're trying to avoid and you just push him like so hard and you push him so hard that energy is going to carry into what's going to feel like a fight even though you don't have to go to blows I was like that's just my thought and that's what we did and you know and that's what that scene was you know but um, okay. So yeah, I just love it. So, so I was so. going to ask as well, do you then ask the director or, or just, I don't know if you pull them to the side and say, hey, yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, direct mm -hmm. your movie, but this is what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you know, actors often have ideas, you know, to like submit to the pot. So it's not completely like taboo to be like, here's what I think might actually help this or work. Most mm -hmm. of the time you're doing it about something that involves you. In this particular case, it didn't actually involve me. I was just happened to be on set and watching it. But I always will go to the director on the side or I'll go, you know, to that the actor and just like suggest it if, you know, I know they're a person that might be into it and not take offense. Mm -hmm. um, and then other times, you know, sometimes there's directors who don't want to hear nothing. So you just say it in a way that they come up with it. You just like encourage the idea. And then they come up with it and then it feels like their idea. And that's what we do. Yeah. Hmm. 
I find myself asking the questions that I feel like even listeners, I feel like they're on in their car on their way to class or work or wherever they're going, wanting to know some of the cool behind the scene, behind the scenes things that are going on. Because I also never want the person that I'm talking to to think I'm just going to jump in. Yes, we you know you're promoting, and but I, I know I personally care, you know, about everything that's going on. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbroke, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify has made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. 
Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. And it's amazing that you should mention um, Stomp the Yard and that you've been in the industry since you were little, a little girl, was acting just, this is all I want to do. Or was there a part of you that said, you know, when I turn 21, I'm going to go to school or I want to be a chef or a lawyer? No. um, From a very young age, I knew I wanted to do acting, but it was just more like how I wanted to do ballet you know, or dance class. I just wasn't good at either one of those. But but it was like a hobby, something I wanted to do and just have fun doing it. And then it wasn't till I was about 12, 11 or 12, um, when I realized like, oh no, I actually legit want to do this like as my real career. And um, it was because I, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I dealt with tons of racism and bullying and all that. And I had a teacher who really just had it out for me. Um, and I didn't make it any better because I was very strong-willed. And um, I ended up losing my work permit. If you don't have a certain grade point average, if you're under the age of 17, then they can take your work permit and you can't work for that year. And so that year, my work permit was taken. And I realized, I was like, I really miss it. And I really want to do this. And so... Um, worked hard, got my work permit back. The very next year, the first thing I booked was my speaking role in Friday. And, you know, from then on, it was like, okay, figuring it out. And, um, and then as I've gotten older, I think I, a part of it is, is it's what I know. And I didn't go to school because I was actively working as a, as a Nickelodeon, a Disney kid, you know, and then, and then I kind of just kept working. And then I also was like, well, I don't think I want to learn this under someone who hasn't worked as much as the people that I'm around. Like, why ask this person when I could ask Samuel Jackson, you know? Um, but I do wish in some ways that I had gone to school because there are things that it's good to learn underneath people who are doing it for a mm-hmm. living every day. But it's also good to have like the the skill set and the basics and the, the, the line to kind of build upon. Um and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I, I've always wanted to do this. And I think there was only one point in my career where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this anymore. And it was a project that I went, that I did where I just really had a really, really rough time. It was, mm. it was a brutal emotional experience for me. Um, but what I realized coming out of it was that I was like, well, if I can survive that, then I can survive anything. So, um, yeah, I still like love acting, but uh, directing is really like what's got my heart like pumping and beating and like, you oh, know. You smiled wide and hard uh, when I asked you about directing and producing. Seeing that you started so young, what is it that you think kept you from succumbing to what we've seen so much 
with actors who start so young? God and my mom, you know, my mom has always been a realist. Um, we had real conversations about everything, you know, uh, if you're on set and like, there's like men around, like, did anybody or, you know, let me know or, you know, there, um, but not a stage mom in the background, but always watching and having very real conversations with me about everything, how I'm feeling, you know, uh, about this little boy, uh, about this character, or do I feel comfortable with this? If I don't want to do it, let's go, you know? Mm. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting. My mom is just a phenomenal mother and has always set an excellent example um, of so much of what I want to be. And just having her there, my mom was on set with me from ages four to 26. Like that's when my mom stopped going consistently when I was like 26. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's good to have your parents around, man. Even if they get on your nerves sometimes, you know, yes. they, they go look out for you like nobody else in this world is. And, I got to, I got to tell Miss Tina about that. I know she did. She has a, this Facebook series and she interviewed um, other people's mothers. And I got to tell her, wait a minute now. Let's talk to Miss Megan Good's mom, too. From the, now from the age of four to 26, I will have to let her know. There are three themes in this interview that I've heard so far. Your humility. Perseverance. When you had to get the work, when you lost the work permit and you had to work hard to get it back again. And then as you were talking about your mom, not only do you have the fear of your mom, but also the fear of God to be God fearing. And I know that um, you have stuck to your faith, grown in your faith. And um, just some of that I've, I'm able to look to in moments where I'm like, well, what are this? What are they going to say? And it's like nothing about me ever changes. Um, the love that I have for God never changes. If I'm doing something that seems a bit too secular, because what happens is I end up walking somewhere and changing the atmosphere or at least talking to talking to at least one person on set about God. And I'm like, if that's what I was sent here to do. If that's what you're sent to do, Megan, I encourage you to keep, keep going. Um, Yes, ma'am. I decided to do something fun. I've never done this with any of my guests, but I decided, I said, let me look up some of the most funniest comments on social media regarding <laughs> Harlem. Have you done that? Have you been Googling or <laughs> any of no. Well, I was in the beginning, but then, you know, my whole... So I'm like, let me just stay away from Understood, me. understood, understood. People are like, oh gosh, ever since I've researched, more comments have come on. The memes of the women fanning themselves and the, oh Lord Jesus, or women saying, wait a minute, I connect to this woman. I saw one was like, oh, I don't feel bad about my, my foul mouth after all, or I don't feel bad. Oh, I didn't. I'm like, I'm so hormonal. I'm horny versus hormonal. This show just has it all. <laughs> I absolutely was cracking up. I think a lot of folks feel like they're seeing themselves, obviously. Yeah. And um, it's such a great, a great, great, great variety um, on Harlem. Um, is there going to be a season two? 
I'm believing God there is. I um, think so. I think so too. Honey, folks will shut it down. Okay. The, the, it, the, the, they'll shut it down. They'll absolutely shut it down. I'm just, I was just asking for the people. Okay. I, I, I was just asking for the people. Okay. I just have two last questions. Um, checking in is definitely, I think the, the foundation of why I did checking in, um, was definitely for mental health. Um, I kind of asked definitely how you've been able to maintain who you are and not succumb to what seems to happen to child actors. But as it relates to mental health during the pandemic, um, or they say mental health is going to be the new, a new pandemic. And that some of the results, we won't even see the results of what has happened for the next five or 10 years. Um, mental health wise, what are some of the things that you do I guess, to stay grounded, uh, Mm -hmm. centered. You seem to not let, and I don't mean anything, just nothing shakes you, nothing. Or you do good by saying, you know, I'm not going to publicly let it shake me, but just mental health-wise, pre-pandemic, what do you think, what do you do? Um, Prayer is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, when I get up, first thing I don't do is grab my phone. I make sure that I sit up, take some breaths in my brain, get the oxygen flowing. And then I talk to God and talk to him in a very, very real way. I listen. And then I say affirmations over myself, which is, uh, God, I am your child. I am dearly loved. I'm loved unconditionally. I belong to you, God. Jesus, I am your friend. Jesus, I am your bride. God, you are my residence. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I am blameless. I am righteous. I am adequate. I am a new creation. I am victorious. I am never alone. I say those every day. And then um, I read my word, you know, rather it's a chapter, rather it's a verse. Um, and then I make sure when I leave the house, the very first thing I do is put on gospel music. It's very often you. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. And, <laughs> um, and I just want to make sure the first thing that goes into my spirit is edifying and reminding me who I am and giving me the tools that I need for those moments when you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, instead of having a negative reaction, you instantly have a reaction of it's okay. It's going to be all right. Cause I already know, you know, you're already in that place for me personally, when I set my day up that way, um, then I play something a little rash after that, but <laughs> there's a but, good balance. You got a good it. balance, but it, it starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Jesus is in between all of it. He's the base that I build every single thing on. Um, and uh, for me, that's just really mental health wise. It keeps me in, in the space of like, no matter what comes my way, no matter what I go through, um, I trust God. And it, there's for sure been moments where I've been, rocked to the core, especially recently. But um, I just trust God so much that no matter what, if I have him, then I know I'm going to be good and everything else is going to fall in line the way it's supposed to. 
and I'm always going to be okay because he is the base, you know? And so mental health wise, that's how I, I really bring that in. And then therapy, you know, I have a great therapist. She's the bomb. What? She is so funny. <laughs> She'd be I like, oh, Megan, Megan, get your head screwed on straight. Like she said stuff to me like that. Um, and it's, it's great, you know, but, and then also like crying when you need to cry and, and making a conscious effort in life to, mm. you know, walk through things instead of around things or jumping over them, just walk through because, you know, the quicker you, you, not even the quicker, when you actually walk through things, then God can really work on you and perfect you and heal you and, and allow you to be usable in the kingdom. You know, rather it's by your testimony, rather it's by the tools that you have because of what you've come through, rather, you know, some of the things that we go through are only to some degree so that we can help other people, you know, and, um, and that's the one thing that we all have in common as part of our purpose is that we're here to help each other. So, um, just perspective and God, and then also knowing, you know, faith without works is dead. So I can have faith that, you know, God's going to show up for me, but I still got to go out and fight the battle. I still got to go and get therapy. I still got to go and do everything that I can do that's within my control and then trust God to do the rest. I am so glad Megan mentioned therapy. Y'all, it really is okay to sit down and have somebody process everything. I don't care what it is process a decision you need to make about a, a career, um, a transition. I know just uh, someone I know was dealing with moving from one coast to the next, to the uh, West coast, to the East coast. And they were, I don't need therapy for that. Uh, you might. That's because that, that, yeah, it's a big change and you never know. Uh, we, we, we associate trauma with like blunt force injuries. No trauma could be, moving from school to school, from one coast to the next coast. That can be um, traumatic. So thank you for saying that. And I promise before you mentioned the script about faith without works is dead, I, I wrote down the word faith because I was like, man, you definitely represent a remnant of women, faith and femininity um, and just absolute grace. And um, I can imagine your messages of that woman balancing um, um, those three things. And when you mentioned no makeup, being able to be a director, just wanting to show up on set with no makeup, I said, well, child, what's your skin regimen? Is it the just jeans? Like, at least folks want to know, sis, is it the cleanser, the toner? What? (laughs) I mean, the the biggest part of it is is jeans, but but I'm also... um, you know, I'm avid about like my skin. I don't play around. I wash my pillowcases every other night. You know, I don't let people touch my face. I don't touch my own face unless I'm like, you know, washing it or putting some makeup on. Um, I, I just treat my face like a pair of expensive shoes. And if they were the only shoes I would have for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. how would I treat them? And that's how I treat my skin. And and then also, you know, microneedling and um, uh, like Morpheus 8, which is great. Um, a lot of people don't know about Morpheus 8, but it's it's fantastic. It's like microneedling and laser and radio frequency all in one machine. And it does hurt a little bit, 
but it tightens your skin and it like gets rid of fine lines and wrinkles and it tightens your pores and it gets rid of acne and it does all these different things. And so I try to get that like once every three months. Um, and then in between I do a little bit of microneedling or radio frequency, um, you know, I just started getting facials like in the last two, three years because I was like, all right, I've never needed it, but it's not uh, about I'm gonna, it's not fair. <laughs> no, but but it's about being proactive now, you know, like instead of reactive. So I'm like, let me just get into it. Cause I'll tell you why, because growing up, one of my friends used to get facials all the time and she would break out so bad or her skin would be so pretty before the facials that I was like, that's what I would never be doing. And the reason I started is because my sister found someone, um, her name's Silvana. She's, she's here in LA, but, um, Mm. she just, I mean, completely cleared up my sister's skin, brought it back to it's like how it used to be when it was like, you know, 18. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'll let her give me a facial. And she's the only person who's ever done a facial on me in my life. Um, but she also has all organic products that she makes at her home. So it's Silvana skincare. So I use pretty much all of her products. Well, you, it's amazing because folks are going to be mad at you and happy for you all at the same time in this interview. They're going to be mad because you just told them you just started getting facials two years ago. And here we're thinking she must get a facial once or twice a month. It's she for all of her life. She she had to have to get a facial. Um, I want to. Um, last question, it, it's going to kind of morph into what I like. I'll start backwards. Encouraging words for creatives, right? But I'm going to combine it with something that I saw you doing for a couple years, how you were preparing for, you were getting your body fit to be, to be a superhero and you did it. Yeah. But you just couldn't look at the weights or look at a video of somebody doing lunges. Right. Thinking that that's all it was going to take. Right. So I want to combine that you did it by putting the work in and lastly, how you can make that into an encouraging word for creatives. Yeah. Um, You know, as I said before, in the word, it says faith without works is dead. And so you have to do the work part. And whatever that looks like for you and being consistent. And it's hard, you know, especially if it's something like working out. I don't like working out at all. Um, but but the truth is, you know, this is something Devon said to me. He was like, you'll never regret doing it. And I was like, damn it, that's true. Because even if I don't feel like going when I'm done, I've never regretted going. I've always been thankful that I showed up anyways. Sometimes I show up and I'm not feeling it and I don't have the best workout. Other times I go hard, hard, hard in the paint. Um, But just keep showing up and keep doing the work. Um, No matter what, don't judge yourself. If you fall off, get back to it. But just keep chipping away the thing that you want because you don't know how close you are. Mm. And and if it's something that you have checked with God and you believe that God wants you, wants it for you and you want it, then you will have victory. All you gotta do is show up and just keep chipping away. Um and you will you will get that victory. And and you also will have the testimony to go with it, which makes you more powerful, more usable in the world, just because you went through something to get there, you know? Mm. Um and then I would just say, just remember like we need you. We need what you can give that nobody else in the world can give. 
You are so specific and unique unto yourself that we need what you're here to give. So don't give up. Do the work. You know, some days are going to be better than others, but just keep doing the work and showing up and you will have victory and, and you deserve it no matter what. So, Well, you guys, y'all can replay the last two minutes of this interview. It, that could be your daily devotional. So that being said, I hope you come out with a daily devotional one day um, because that was I wrote up. Keep showing up. One of the most important things you said was don't judge yourself. You, we already got enough people judging. Facts. Don't let it be that you were judging yourself. Yeah. So, wow. So crazy. My best friend said that to me. She said, uh, I, you know, I was, I was having this day. This probably was like maybe two years ago, but I was having a moment. I was just really judging myself. And she was like, stop that. And I was like, what? She was like, would you talk to me like that? And I was like, no, never. And she's like, then don't talk to yourself like that. I was like, well, that really just hit my spirit. Because, you know, would we talk to our friends and people that we love? Some of the ways that we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't. You know, we just want to affirm them and uplift them and tell them it's okay. And they'll figure it out. And God's got them. And we have to do the same thing for ourselves. Wow. That's so true. If you don't talk to your to your mother that way, your father, your best friends, don't talk to yourself that way. Megan, I so appreciate you for checking in with us today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I appreciate being here. Of course. We will see you again. And I'm going to try to send you some of them crazy, um, funny, the funny messages. I, they, they have just been, they made my day today just really. Really? Yes, hilarious. The, I, the, my favorite one, it was the woman just fanning the, herself with the church fan. I said, I can't. These fans, <laughs> just stop. All right. We'll let you go. Thanks again, Megan. Thank you. I am... Just sometimes I'm always at a loss for words when you see someone's grace and someone's poise and just how you even know they're navigating through personal situations while one of the greatest moments of their life with their career is going on right now. Harlem is one of the most talked about series right now. And I am so glad that she came on to just have an all-encompassing interview because I feel like I try, I think I've said this before on interviews in the past, I try to be careful on always talking about the project. And I try to not insert so many of my personal experiences, but I re remember promoting music or various things. And I'm like, man, I've said this like 80 times in interviews. Go Google one of them. But you have to give grace because you're probably talking to another audience for the first time. So they don't know how something came about, how this song was written or, you know, how the scene in Harlem um, was filmed. But it's so nice to, I think, checking in is also about letting a person know that you care about all of them, the whole of them. So, and that I always make sure that my podcast is a safe place for every guest. I just love how she has just persevered, how she encouraged us once again to keep showing up and to never judge ourselves, to have humility and perseverance 
because I've walked in a few auditions and I would be very surprised to see certain actresses sitting there waiting for their name to be called. Now, there are certain times where a role is written for a specific person and they know for sure that that is who they want. And that happens sometimes where you don't have to audition. And so I'm glad that she did audition for it. And like I said, you would think that Harlem was written for each person that was cast. Anywho, I am really thankful for y'all we are underway into season two we are here um don't forget if you have not i really would love for you to get my journal called the daily check-in it supplements my book checking in amazon actually has a cool bundle um going on right now i think for like 34 bucks or something so and i do plan on doing some cool virtual moments with the journal Um, We're going to do some Zooms with um, folks who have purchased this journal just to make it fair, just an exclusive community um, to just kind of dissect the journal checking in, the daily check in and just see what people's thoughts are about it. Make sure if you can to comment about the podcast, comment, uh, let me know what your favorite episodes are. And once again, I could not do this season two without you guys once again thank you so much for tuning in with me to as we talk with someone who's been in major films and shows and i'm making good again don't we thank her for checking in with us all right until next time know that you are loved checking in with michelle williams is a production of iHeartRadio and the black effect for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.